0: I think one simple thing to refer to Cambodian music uh, or Zangta music, if you will, they are functional. The, the role is for entertainment and all that, but in general, they, they are all functional. Like, uh, for example, music for wedding, music for funeral, or uh, let's say it uh, mu- music to, to, to address the spirit uh, for the rain and, and, and so forth. As a young boy, I recall... A wedding ensemble just passed by in front of our house and my grandfather called them uh, in and he requested them to to play a few pieces and it was just like uplifting. Uh, That's the first time I heard uh, Cambodian music.
1: That's composer Chinnery Ong talking about his life in music and especially some of his early experiences as a young boy in Cambodia in the late 1940s. Welcome to Relevant Tones. I'm Seth Bostead, and Chinnery Ong is my guest on the program today. Through the magic of technology, he's coming to us, courtesy of KPBS in San Diego. Chinnery, thanks so much for being on the program. It's a pleasure. We're also hearing his piece, Inner Voices, as performed by the American Composers Orchestra. This was a big piece in Chinnery's career because it landed him the Grahmeyer Award, which is often called the Nobel Prize of Music.
0: It was a pleasant surprise, of course. It was a shock, <laughs> in a sense. I never thought that it would be able to win that prize. And actually, I was in the middle of a lesson uh, and, and, uh, with a student, and the phone rang. I picked up the phone, and um, the secretary of the grand mayor just kept talking and talking, and I almost hang up uh, because I thought that this must be the guy uh, trying to sell life insurance. And, <laughs> and I, I swear I almost hang up. But then all of a sudden it clicked to me. So he went on, and finally, my my jaw was locked. I just can't even talk anymore. So <laughs> I just can't believe that I won. <laughs> so were you able to buy life insurance after you won the award? <laughs> I forgot. I had to tell the truth. <laughs> and, and so, uh, uh, and, and, and and so, it it's um it, it's really interesting uh, how how things uh, can can emerge uh, in in life.
1: We did a kind of produced opening where you were talking about being a young boy in Cambodia, hearing this music for the first time, and I've talked to you a little bit about that before, of course, but I'm curious now, coming from this background, when you heard Western music for the first time, did you did you kind of get it all at once? Did you get Elvis and the Beatles, rock and roll, jazz, classical music, all of
0: that at the same time? All at one time, yeah. I was, uh, uh, to be exact, I arrived in New York City from Cambodia in January 1964. And that's when the Beatles came uh, and performed at the Carnegie Hall. And you have a really an interesting um, as a city, New York City. You get everything. You get jazz. You get uh, Brazilian guitarists. You can hear that. And it's a very rich uh, cu- culture, speaking. speaking, uh, yeah, in a way. Now, go back to your question. Um, um, when, I worked, when I first arrived, I was a freshman uh, student majoring clarinet at Manhattan School of Music. I um, assign myself every month to listen to different types of uh, pieces by uh, composers such as Mozart, Beethoven, Tchaikovsky. Um, Bruckner, Mahler, and so forth, those are my own assignment to myself because I had to catch up. I realized that I just, you know, <laughs> freshly came from Cambodia, and I just had to catch up. And, and I think that was quite rewarding. Um, and I, how I started, I, I started right in the middle uh, of, of Western music uh, history. I started from the Romantic style first, and then I push it backward to, to Renaissance, to Baroque, uh, classical Baroque and Renaissance and so forth. And then I push it forward to impressionistic uh, new music and, and so forth, 20th century music. And so that, that's a strategy that I, I, I assigned to my Sarah because I thought the romantic, uh, Western romanticism sort of closer to, to how I feel uh, in music. Uh, so so th- that was the strategy, yeah.
1: It seems like this is all happening very, very quickly. You arrive in Manhattan as a, as a clarinet major, but then within only a couple of years, I'm assuming you've switched to composition. So you're, you're catching up on all of this music, practicing your clarinet, and then something happened that made you want to compose. Can you kind of describe just the, the couple of years for me? What, what changed in, in your thinking?
0: Uh, yeah, I, I, I continued uh, attending uh, concert uh, like um, two or three concerts per week. Um, and uh, uh, at one point, I attended uh, a contemporary concert, um, and that when I first met my teacher, Cho Bin Chung. Um, Cho uh, was a student uh, and protege and of Edgar Perez, and so I introduced myself after the concert, um, and uh, I asked him if I could be his student and all that, and so that's how it started. And then I was attracted to um, to, to composition quite a bit. Without him, I I, I wouldn't be a composer. So, <laughs> so uh, I think that that was interesting how the comic force uh, plays uh, oneself so forth. It's a really interesting um, situation for me. Yeah,
1: absolutely. The first piece I want to feature is called "Singing in Aura." Can you describe the role of singing? Why it's important to you as a composer?
0: I think, look back, it um, there is a limitation on anything that that I do. After uh, up to a point, uh, a musical instrument seemed to get locked in or seemed to go against the wall when a musician uh, execute or her instrument up to a point and cannot go beyond that. That's when he or she uh, start to sing. Uh, It's a continuation of that. And then you can go back and forth. Uh, But uh, when I spoke to Cho Wenzhong, my teacher, he called me and he wanted to to know more about my music uh, regarding the use of vocalization. And uh, he asked me, um, could it be explained this way? It's like two vehicles, one, the instrumental playing is to be heard, and the vocal line is the music to be felt. And so in a way, um, I I, I agree with him. I correlate that uh, idea, uh, looking back to a stone monument in Cambodia, you can imagine uh, uh, two uh, dragons uh, uh, being intertwined. And so, in a way, uh, you need uh, a two-vehicle to prepare, um, at least in uh, my tradition. Let's
1: hear singing in aura now. This features Chinnery's wife, Susan Ong, singing violist, and we're going to hear the Boston Modern Orchestra Project. They are all led by conductor Gil Rose. It was music by Chinnery Ong. The piece is called Singing Inside Aura. And the singing that we heard was done by Susan Ong, who was also playing the viola. She is a singing violist. She was performing with the Boston Modern Orchestra Project, led by Gil Rose. Chinnery, in that piece, I was struck by the singing style that, that we talked about, the Cambodian singing style. I think you can really hear that in the piece. But I was also kind of struck by your use of dissonance. We, in the West, we think of dissonance resolution. Dissonance should always resolve. It's part of a kind of narrative structure. But it seems to me that Eastern composers or Eastern musicians think about dissonance differently.
0: Right, right. Uh, uh, One thing one can say that uh, Cambodian traditional uh, music is generally a non-developmental type of music making. It's not like uh, uh, you can find that uh, in the West. Um, And in my music, personally, I... I don't hear it as dissonant or consonant. Uh, I hear color, I hear expression, I hear voices, uh, and um, I I stop thinking about pitches and, and consonant, dissonant. Uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, or, or or in short, everything is consonant, so <laughs> that's another way of saying it. I like that
1: (laughs) If everything is consonant, then dissonance doesn't exist Doesn't exist (laughs) It's in the mind (laughs) And you're listening to Relevant Tones A show featuring the music of contemporary composers Courtesy of San Diego-based radio station KPBS We are talking with Chinnery Ong Live on the program today He is our guest Which is a special treat for us To be able to chat with him in real time To subscribe to our podcast for streaming versions of this and all previous episodes or for a complete playlist of the music that you're hearing on the program today, you can visit relevanttones.com. Jenry, it's such a pleasure to have you on the program today, to be able to feature your music and and talk about it as we listen to it together. But I was thinking, too, about your development as a composer and and also just kind of how do you know when, as a composer, you have a good idea? I mean, there's so many different things that you could come up with. I know for myself, with classical music, I was always attracted to the sensation when I heard a piece that really transported me. I felt like I left my body. And I feel like I'm always trying to recreate that feeling, both as a composer but also as a listener, how do you know when a piece that you're writing will be transportive? Um,
0: I can uh, recall a couple instances. One in particular, I kept struggle for like two months or so. I feel pretty bad. I feel like uh, I'm just uh, a beginner as a composer, and uh, I keep trying to to compose this huge piece and all that. Uh, at one point, I, I sat at the piano. I just stopped composing just, I just broke down. I think I was in tears for like twenty minutes or so, non-stop. Uh, it's not about suffering. Uh, it's not about finding something, uh, and so forth. It's not about anything. Uh, but then, uh, then from that point onward, I said, "Whoa, I'm ready." To, to, to tap onto that piece. You see, it's it just, uh, it just a state of mind whether or not you're ready. Because technically speaking, uh, you know, you are what you are and uh, what you have acquired in terms of technique and so forth. But that's not the point in the art. The point of the art is is the mental state it is of, of the heart uh, and other things, uh, aside from uh, all the textbook and the classroom and so forth. Then I mean, this is what the point of the art is: is humanity, in a sense. Another thing, um, another moment I remember, um, like about two decades ago, drop off my youngest daughter to school. I came back at like around seven in the morning. Uh, I, I felt my whole body just like sound. I felt that, I felt that, the there sound in my whole body. And I was, I cannot wait to come home and get into that studio and continue composing. And I think these, these are hints uh, for, for, uh, for, for creative uh, people uh, to, 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 to figure out. Uh, you know, it's not so much about the technical solution. You know, I mean, uh, there's not... You can go through techniques uh, so easily for for a number of years of training and looking at scores and observing this, doing analysis and so forth, but that is not going to make you go anywhere. This is nothing. This is nothing. This has something to do with, uh, hey, I can do this, I can do that, uh, I can be a good composer and so forth, but is that the point uh, of being alive of being an artist—is that the point? If it's not the point, I I'd rather do something else. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> I probably go to to Las Vegas playing uh, three card <laughs> poker or something. It would probably much more fun. <laughs> I have I have a good talk with the with the driver of Uber uh, Uber that dropped me off. I had a great talk with him, and and it's just like uh, this is what it is. Yeah. I, I'm fascinated
1: by that, too, because, you know, with, with composers, there's always, a lot of people will always try to attempt to explain why this piece works, and that's not the point, like you said. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there are 12-tone pieces that, that move me. There are pieces that are tonal that move me. I mean, there's no reason that Beethoven's Fifth Symphony should work, and yet right. it does, yeah, and it's it's because of his intention, it's because of his skill as a composer, but it's also because of what he really desperately
0: wants to communicate, it, and he manages uh, to get uh, that uh, through. Absolutely. My God, I mean, this master probably had... A must have uh, a little glimpse of God. It, it has to be, because the, the harmony is out of the ordinary. You know, I, I never heard anyone in his contemporary handle that particular 15 seconds uh, so beautifully. Uh, and so forth. You know, I mean, uh, you go uh, JS back uh, some passages that are very powerful, you can go to, to you know, a number of composers. And uh, uh, so, uh, actually, this, this is what the role of education ought to be. Train the, the, the kid in certain way and so forth. Because without that, uh, people tend to uh, give up. They don't stick around. Uh, They they have no belief.
1: Oh, I think it's a lot more useful than doing Roman numeral analysis, (laughs) 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 which we all did a lot of.
0: (laughs) I I can't even count. I mean, (laughs) I'm pretty bad at counting and spelling.
1: (laughs) Let's talk about the music. Um, Tell me about the piece Grand Spiral.
0: That particular piece... um, uh, what I had in mind is to, for the f- sort of the first time that I want to write something that is like a slow dance, like very slow moving. Mm-hmm. Like imagine of a uh, uh, a couple um, uh, uh, doing a really slow dance. So, so and also the dance uh, that both of them promise to each other. This is the last dance. This is the last breath, so to speak. And so uh, I, I get into uh, a kind of composing that time is being expanded, uh, and the resistor going from low up uh, to high resistor, and the last note is uh, one of the highest note of the piccolo. And then uh, underneath of that you have basso profondo, really low bass, to just give uh, a point of reference.
1: Let's listen to Grand Spiral now. This is B Mop, the Boston Modern Orchestra Project, conducted by the great Gil Rose, music of Chinri Ong. It's a piece called Grand Spiral, we had a wonderful performance by the Boston Modern Orchestra Project, the intrepid BMOP, led by Gil Rose, and Chenery Ong is my guest on the program today. We're able to talk with him in real time thanks to a high-tech satellite link with KPBS in San Diego. Chenery, you came here in 1964 to the United States, you were a student at the Manhattan School of Music, and then in the 70s you found yourself a refugee and you weren't able to return to your homeland for decades. What was it like to return to Cambodia for the first time in
0: 2002? Oh, it, it's just wonderful. I was just like a child. <laughs> it was it was great because I refrained from going there because I was not sure about the government. I was not sure about safety and so forth. But finally, uh, my wife and I had the courage um, uh, to go there with our two girls. They were they were small. And uh, um, um, at one point, uh, the agenda a pack, really. At one point, uh, um, uh, my wife, uh, my wife uh, Susan, asked me, uh, what, what's the schedule tomorrow? And there, quite a bit of cancellation and, and so forth. And so, the, you know, the schedule was really empty and free. And she said, how about going to your village? <laughs> so, uh, like, three cars or so, we took off early in the morning, and we arrived. Uh, next to my village, like only like two kilometers, I went to see uh, my, um, the ash, uh, my father ash and, uh, and other. And then all of a sudden the word broke and a number of relatives and people came um, to greet us. Uh, and we continue on with the dirt road and went to the place uh, or the house that used to be my grandparents' house. Um, and at that time, it became a, a, a clinic for children, like children hospital or something like that. And that was really an amazing uh, experience to me. Some of the trees were still there. you uh, saw the pond. I saw, I saw all the thing. It just really an amazing thing. And um, my youngest daughter, after the experience was over, and she said, uh, "Daddy, um, I finally." Uh, begin to understand um, who you are. <laughs> I don't know what she meant, but but she sort it sort of clicked <laughs> in her head. You know, I mean that that was an interesting thing. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, well, there's always that moment when you realize your parents are, are human; that they have a past, they come from a place. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that must yeah. have been that moment and for her. Believe
0: it or not, there, there's still no running water, not nothing. I mean, the, and dirt road and all that, and very bumpy road, and, and it's really amazing that. that uh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. Life goes on as it always has. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the next piece I want to play is called Oracle. I've heard a fair amount of orchestral music by Chinnery on the program today, but now we're going to go into a more intimate setting and hear a chamber piece. Lucy Shelton is the soprano, William Anderson is playing guitar, and we're going to hear Michael Adelson conducting. Again, the Decapo chamber players performing the music of Chinnery Ong. That's a piece called Oracle. This is a chamber piece by composer Chenry Ung, who I have the great fortune to be talking with live on the program today. We heard the DeCapo chamber players. There were a couple of soloists, including Lucy Shelton, soprano, and William Anderson, guitar. And they were all being conducted by Michael Adelson. Chenry, thanks so much for being on the program today. It's been such a pleasure and an honor to talk with you and to be able to feature your music.
0: Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much for having uh, me here. Yeah, thank you. Mm
1: -hmm. Relevant Tones has been produced by Sarah Zwinklis, and additional production help provided by Rebecca Neistat, with special thanks to KPBS in San Diego. Relevant Tones is made possible by the generous support of the Aaron Copland Fund for Music and the listener supporters of WFMT. I'm Seth Bosted from the WFMT Radio Network, Chicago.